is the Go Blue Crew. Hey there, welcome to episode 114 of the Go Blue Crew. I'm Tyler Fenwick, joined by Derek Devine. It's a great time to be a Michigan basketball fan because they have won five of the last six, including three in a row. Started against a, a ranked at the time Michigan State team. Uh, and then two very convincing wins on the road against Northwestern and then just beat Indiana on Sunday. Uh, and, and that Indiana team, I, we already talked about Michigan State, and you know that was a really good win. But I think uh, looking at the Indiana win, it's, it's a little better than it appears because IU is a team that uh, you know, could still definitely make the NCAA tournament. I, I think they, they probably have a better than 50% chance of, of making it as long as they don't absolutely collapse at the end of the season. And uh, now they're both 16 and nine. Indiana was coming in with a better record. And I know we've talked before about how the Hoosiers, uh, you know, didn't have great wins. And, and there was some, uh, well, they did beat Michigan State, but outside of that, not many great wins and, and just weren't convincing a lot of people. And, uh, but, but Michigan still really took care of business on, on the home court. Uh, defense was really good. Offensive efficiency was back to what we were accustomed to seeing earlier in the season. And it looks like Michigan's just peaking at the right time. As I mentioned, five of the last six only loss there was to Ohio State. That was a, a three-point loss. Other than that, beat Michigan State, beat Northwestern, beat Indiana. And it's looking at like a team that uh, you know heading into the postseason could could definitely be a team to watch. Yeah, and I think the win over Indiana is big because there's been times this season where Michigan hasn't been able to protect its home floor. And if you look at Indiana's schedule, um, they have beat ranked teams, now teams that might not be ranked now or maybe even some teams that are ranked higher. I mean, you have a win against Florida State, uh, who's been a top-10 team at other times this season. They beat Ohio State before Ohio State kind of fell apart there for uh, a a multiple-game slump. Uh, beat Michigan State, who, again, kind of started their slump naturally as well. So it seems like Indiana's able to beat some good teams, but they're also losing some games they, they shouldn't lose. And, in fact, um, losing pretty badly in a couple of matchups. Now, they did have the win against Iowa. Iowa is one of those teams that's, uh, I think, better than Indiana overall, but a team that um, is kind of up and down too. I mean, they've they've had their highs and lows in the season. So I think really – We've talked about it all season. Any time that Michigan can just take care of business uh, is is obviously best. And they've been able to prove uh, that they're a better team with Isaiah Livers back in the lineup. Offensive efficiency looks off the charts um, compared to uh, that really bad slump that they had with, I think, what, five out of six losses or, or whatever it was. Um, and now they have a couple of, of road challenges to – to kind of prove that they're a better team on the road, because if there's one thing that hasn't been consistent, uh, it's been their road play. And they they obviously beat uh, an underwhelming Northwestern team, uh, and they beat a Nebraska team on the road. Uh, but those are two teams Michigan should have beat, regardless of how good the Big, Big Ten is. So you've got to go all the way back to uh, the games at Iowa and at Minnesota, I mean, at Illinois, games at Louisville if you go way far back. I mean, these are games that Michigan either hasn't been a part of or uh, just couldn't find a way to put put their best game together. And so with this road challenge coming up, I think we'll really get to see what Michigan's going to be in March because, I mean, here we are with, what, six games left of the regular season. It's crazy that uh, it's flown by. 
you're, sp- you, uh, you're talking about slumps, and that's kind of funny because it made me think that pretty much every team in the Big Ten has gone through a slump, mm-hmm. except for probably Maryland. Yeah. I think Maryland has lost uh, four losses, and uh, they came in and back to back. So you know, they lost two, and then uh, lost two in a row, and then won some, and then lost two in a row later other than that though like every team in the big 10 has had a stretch where they looked uh you know sometimes it's downright miserable but at least uh you know fans were probably looking at them wondering what in the world is happening to my team and then there's maryland you know 21 and 4 first in the big 10 uh probably the only team in the big 10 that can say it hasn't gone through a slump that's outside of the scope of, of this show it just made me realize that uh Obviously, it's been tough in the Big Ten this year. And, of course, Michigan went to play Maryland on the road last game of the regular season. So Isaiah Livers has been, like, the biggest difference, right? Because when you when you look at the analytics for when Isaiah Livers plays for Michigan, Michigan is one of the best teams in the country, not just the Big Ten, but in the country. It's when he's not in there that Michigan really took a big hit. And he's even... It's tough to say he's he's at a hundred percent. He he probably isn't, but he's definitely close enough that he's making a really big difference for Michigan. Both sides of the court is obviously he's a great three point shooter, but Michigan's defense is much better when he's in the game, and it frees up everybody else to do what they're good at. I know when he was out, we were talking about like, you know, Isaiah Livers comes back and is is it simple enough that that's like a the one fix that's needed. And I was skeptical. I thought, no, Michigan has a lot more that they need to work on to get better. But watching them play with Isaiah Livers on the court kind of makes us look a little dumb. Talking about how Michigan had a lot more going on that needed to be addressed because Isaiah Livers seems to be like the the one thing that got everything back on track. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously he's crucial to this turnaround uh, and we did talk about this before about how other guys are going to play different roles and have to play those roles well. Um, while we've seen a guy like John Teske struggle of late, um, Austin Davis has come on, which a lot of us um, could never have predicted. And and not only did he come on in one or two games, he has a nice streak of four or five games now where he's extremely efficient. Uh, I think one of the most efficient players in the entire nation, if you uh, look at his body of work in the few minutes he plays, usually 10 to 15, uh, if not less some games. Because uh, he doesn't miss a shot. Yeah, he do, he literally does not miss. He's he's so efficient. And, yes, they're all layups, but they're important layups. They're very timely. Um, if he's not um, if he's not able to get the ball, I mean, he, he looks like he could probably get the ball every time on the block. But when a uh, ball handler can't get him the ball in the paint, um, he's turning around and he's squaring up ready to, to try to pull down an offensive layup, something – uh, that he does get a lot, which again is why his field goal efficiency is so high because he can just put the ball uh, back up. He seems to be in the right spot at the right time and really playing well. Um, again, in, against Indiana in just 13 minutes, um, very efficient. And then you look at John Teske, again, quiet, um, played 12 more minutes and, and had three less points. And so I just feel like he, someone like Austin Davis is a good example. We talked about Brandon Johns is going to have to maybe drop in the minutes a little bit, um, but be efficient in those minutes. He had 14 against Indiana. Xavier Simpson looks like a completely different player 
uh, when Isaiah Livers is out. There's a lot more getting into the lane and kicking out to Livers, kicking out to Brooks, kicking out to Johns, Wagner. So Simpson looks like a better player. And then Franz Wagner just uh, winning Big Ten Freshman of the Week honors once again. Um, Michigan's got a complete team. And the thing I'm impressed with most, especially during this run, and really you can say about Michigan all season, is they've got five guys over uh, averaging over 10 points, I believe, still at this point, or at least going into the Indiana game they did. And against Indiana, they had five guys uh, scoring double digits again. And so, I mean, that's just really impressive. I think the stat during the game was that's tied for second in the nation. And they're sharing the ball, um, and they finally have their, their go-to guy. Um, so when it gets down to that clutch time, I think we'll see Isaiah Livers um, get the opportunity to, to try to get a game winner one of these times. But, yeah, I mean, they're playing great team ball, and I think that has to help as you look at the next couple of games on the schedule and, and really just finishing out Big Ten play. Okay, here is Austin Davis's point totals going back to Rutgers uh, February 1st, 8-11, four against Michigan State, nine and nine. And then four of four field goals, and then four of four, two of three, four of four, four of six. He is consistently looking better than John Teske. If you roam Twitter when Austin Davis is in, this is uh, becoming more and more common. People are like, wait a second. Why isn't Austin Davis getting more playing time? You'll see the occasional, why isn't Austin Davis starting over John Teske? Because John Teske's fall has corresponded with Austin Davis's rise kind of out of necessity but Austin Davis just because he's getting more playing time doesn't mean he has to be more effective he has he has gotten more playing time and also been more effective are are you in the camp of wanting Austin Davis to see uh, more playing time do you want him to start what I would say that for me I think that and, and I was one that, that even tweeted start Austin Davis from the Wolverine Sounds account just to kind of Saw chime that. in with everybody else. <laughs> and because I was missing most of the game, that was actually the only tweet that was fired out uh, during the game. Uh, the most people, important one. No, not that people know. If, if you were just going to tweet one thing, yeah, that, that had to that, be it. That was it. I, I don't know if I'm – I think more minutes. Uh, I think I'm okay with Teske starting. I think one of the things that's easy to overlook is – uh, Teske has really improved on the defensive end. Um, he, he, yes, he's no longer on an island like he was in some of those early games where Michigan was looking terrible defensively. But overall, as a team, Michigan's really improved uh, defensively. And I think John Teske does play an important role on the court, whether it's setting screens, um, rebounding the basketball. Uh, he had seven total um, against Indiana. And I just feel like you're going to see Teske get the minutes he is a capable three-point shooter, although he doesn't seem like he's taken one in the last three to four games. Um, and so I think, yeah, John Teske is going to be your starter. I think he's going to get the majority of the minutes. But, man, if Austin Davis keeps playing like the way he's been playing, especially if he can do so on the road, I think that you're going to see more of 20 minutes apiece because I can't imagine that uh, that Juwan Howard is not going to go with kind of the hot hand or the more efficient guy. Uh, in some of these games as the season winds down. I think uh, it's very unlikely that we would see Austin Davis start over John Teske. It would have to become like a little more of a dramatic decline for Teske in order for that to happen. I do think you'll start to see Austin Davis's minutes continue to tick up. He's uh, His high in, in that time frame I mentioned was 14 minutes against Ohio State. Uh, you might 
you know, see that climb to more like 15, 16. But the thing to remember about Austin Davis is he is a walking foul, basically. Uh, it seems like it's gotten a little better recently, but if if he's in, he's he's committing a foul most likely uh, almost immediately, and, mm-hmm. and that makes it really tough on a coach to to leave him in. It, and like I said, it's gotten better. Uh, you know, had had two thousand two fouls against Indiana in thirteen minutes, but uh, that's something to to keep in mind as we start you know clamoring for more minutes and we, you know we want to see the ball go to him in the post it's like yeah but when he gets on that defensive end uh he's he's committing a lot of fouls mm-hmm. the thing i notice uh, like the difference between him and Teske right now is other michigan players on the court seem more eager to get him the ball than they do Teske lately it seems like they're they're going out of their way to find Austin Davis because he has been executing at a high level. He's very physical down there. He and John Teske are, are monsters down on the block. And it seems like Davis just lately has had a, you know, better, better control of his body knows how to use it and, and get better looks. But it, it's just like, if, if you could run a side by side, I think of Teske and Davis rolling to the rim or, or posted up with good position. I think you'll see more often now, players are getting Austin Davis the ball more so than Teske because John Teske just hasn't been executing at that high of a level. But with Austin Davis, you know, you give him the ball and there's, there's a really good chance he's getting a bucket or he's getting fouled. He doesn't miss a lot of buckets and, and he, he gets to the free throw line uh, not all the time, but he draws a lot of contact. So I think that's something that I've, I've noticed and it just makes me, it makes me think that the, that his teammates have way more confidence in him in him right now than they did earlier in the season, and maybe even more confidence in him right now than they do in uh, John Teske. I think one of the things too that I've um, kind of made a mental note of, and and I after reading uh, the athletic story on uh, Austin Davis and kind of his rise, and I'm definitely in the camp of hoping he gets a spot uh, next next season on a team that seems to be bringing in some of the, the best recruits in the nation. Uh, but I, I will say that uh, because I think they're just such different players. If you look at their, their stature and, and their size, I think they're easy to compare. Um, they're both going to be utilized in the pick and roll uh, and they're both going to be down on the block. But you've got to remember that one of the things that's so different between the two is John Teske played a lot of time last year and even the year before and even some minutes uh, before that very lightly um, in, in a John Beeline system where he was more likely to be, yes, outsetting screens, but more of a pop guy. And, and he does that a lot this season. That's why he's had multiple three-point attempts. But John Teske really turned into a player that could hit the three. That wasn't something he did when he was backing up Mo Wagner. Uh, and so John Teske honestly has learned to play such a different style. I think because Austin Davis doesn't have the shooting ability, and again, it's not like Teske's is phenomenal, even for a big. Uh, I think there's a lot a lot better three-point shooters um, for bigs. Now, yeah, 7-1 uh, with the, the pounds he puts on. You've got to consider anything impressive from beyond the arc. But Austin Davis quite literally has to rely on the pick and roll and posting up at the block. He does not have an outside shot. He's not going to be utilized around the wing. And so I think that you're more comfortable throwing the ball to him on the block because you know that that's how he's going to 
going to make it work. That's the only thing he knows how to do. He does it very well. He's done it at a very high efficiency. So I'm not surprised to see uh, teammates more comfortable feeding him the ball. Uh, And there's not much time left, and I hope that John Teske can turn it up. But uh, in the future, I think that we can expect Michigan's bigs to play like classic bigs, uh, and we're going to probably see him move away from probably ultimately that John Beeline system where you're expecting a five to be able to swish threes at a regular basis. So I will say that that's probably the biggest difference, but if they can both play well, Teske can go off for 15 and Austin Davis can come in and shoot three for four. I think Michigan's going to be really tough to beat because both of those, both of those guys are very capable of having great nights and it's going to take great nights like that to, to win games in the big 10 tournament. All right, so Michigan's next two games on the road against Rutgers and Purdue. Rutgers hasn't lost at home this season. Mackey Arena is always a really tough place to go and win. What should we be expecting? Like hoping for a split here or, you know, continue this role and win two in a row? You'd like to see two in a row, but if I were to guess, I think that Michigan drops one of them, and I'm more confident that they can get it done on a Wednesday night uh, at Rutgers than they can over the weekend and probably a packed uh, house against Purdue. I think Purdue has played so up and down uh, this season. They're hanging right around where where Michigan is in the conference, one game or a half game behind, a worse overall record. But Purdue has played lights out at home at times, uh, and they've also played really bad, especially on the road. So I'm more afraid to to go into Purdue on a road environment than Rutgers, even though Rutgers hasn't lost at home and is a lot better than, than they have been in quite some time, uh, tied for third or whatever it is in the Big Ten. But, yeah, I have more confidence Wednesday night for sure. It's worth noting Michigan has uh, already beaten both Rutgers and Purdue, so I think uh, I'm probably expecting a split. I... I don't know which one I'm more confident in, though. I just I don't think it's likely that they win both, and I'm really hoping that they don't lose both. So we would be remiss on a Michigan basketball podcast if we did not talk about what's going on with John Beeline in Cleveland. Uh, been following the news through the All Star Weekend that uh, it doesn't look like John Beeline is is going to stay. He he might make it through the season. It looks like. But I guess there's been some talk of of maybe making a, a prompt exit during the All-Star break. It's been kind of a mess. And Derek, correct me if I had any of that wrong or if I'm missing something. No, I think as of right now, at least with everything that I've seen, there's still some things up in the air. But I'm pretty sure everyone's confident at this point that, yeah, he will not be the coach uh, next year and there were talks at least uh, last night and early this morning that uh, this week could be uh, the last week I think most of the NBA doesn't play until later in the week Thursday I believe it is so it's also possible that he's coached um, his last game uh, and whatever it is whether it's the end of the season a couple weeks from now or he's he's coached uh, his last game as a head coach in the NBA uh, shocking and I'm going to go as far as saying more shocking honestly, than him leaving uh, Michigan because he left Michigan chasing a dream and he kind of were stunned at first and kind of sat back and said, hey, you know what? Good for him. Like he's done great things, brought Michigan into the conversation like no one had before. Uh, and, I, and I feel like once Dewan Howard settles in and Michigan has that great run in Atlantis and 
had the down, but now back up. I think you kind of have a different perspective than than maybe you would have if, if Michigan was struggling or Michigan wouldn't have gotten Juwan Howard as the coach. But I mean, just honestly, shocking, and you you got to feel for for the guy chasing a dream, and it's clearly just not worked out even before this news uh, arose over the weekend. See, I, and I'm just not I'm not going to say that it's shocking because. I think a lot of us looked at this move to the NBA, like, you know, best of luck, John Beeline, go get it. Obviously this has been a dream of yours, but his coaching style, his, you know, meticulous attention to detail, things like that. It never felt like it was going to work in the NBA game. And just, you know, reading stories, uh, keeping up a little bit, I guess, with what he's been doing in Cleveland. I know they're, uh, been reports of players upset with his coaching style, feeling like, you know, we're back at the high school game again. But I, I, I can't say I'm shocked that it's not working out. I can say, you know, it's shocking that it's kind of unfolded like this, you know, so dramatically that all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about the possibility of John Beeline having coached his last uh, game as a, as a head coach. But the fact that it hasn't worked out, unfortunately, just hasn't been all that surprising and I think uh, other people are, are kind of looking at that like in in sort of the same light, you know, well, we, we wanted the best, but I, I can't say I didn't see this coming in one way or another. So let's uh, let's say this is inevitable. It doesn't matter when, but, uh, you know, come next season, at the very least, John Beeline won't be the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think he's on like a five year deal or something. What do you what do you think he does? What do you hope he does? Uh, you know what? I hope he just retires and lives a, a great retired life. I mean, he's been a head coach for years and years and years. He's only been a head coach, so I don't think you'll see him taking an assistant role. I bet there's going to be a lot of college teams that offer him, I mean, max money in terms of coaching deals. I think some pretty prominent programs would do the same. Uh, I hope he retires, and I hope he just, you know, he's 67. Uh, and hope he just kind of, you know, can focus on family and maybe get his son back into the coaching ranks somehow. But yeah, I think that he's gonna he's gonna have trouble not wanting to coach. I don't think that this is the way uh, he expected things to go. I don't think many expected it to end like this. I think, I mean, to kind of rehash what I said, I think the surprising part is the fact that he could have coached his last game, uh, and the fact that it's been announced in the fashion it has. Now we live in a world where uh, Woj bombs come regularly. Um, this is one that was maybe not unexpected, but unexpected for the time. If it would have uh, kind of gone through the season, the ups and downs that the Cavs have had, mostly down, uh, and it comes out that you know John Beeline won't be returning, or he stepped down, or is going to pursue something else, then that's not surprising at all. I think it's just the fact that you're in the middle of watching an All Star game or doing whatever you were doing on Sunday evening, and you get a notification, especially as a Michigan fan because of the ties. Um, that he may no longer uh, be the coach in his coach's last game. So he's going to get some crazy offers. I mean, I guarantee you, we live in a world where Mel Tucker is the 12th highest paid coach in college football uh, by Michigan State and has won five games in his total head coaching career. So you can guarantee that John Beeline, with plenty of life left, uh, is going to be offered. And I would not be surprised if he takes the job. I, I would say there aren't many jobs, especially at the college level, that John Beeline uh, wouldn't wouldn't be overly qualified for. I mean, it, they outside of you know the the 
established blue blood programs, why would you not go after John Beeline? I understand you're 67, right? Years old. Uh, that's up there. But you know you have a successful college coach who's going to develop just about any players you already have on that team. I would think that he's going to get some really good offers. I, I doubt he takes any. Here's what I'm hoping happens. He somehow ends up in a role at Michigan. I think that's where he belongs. That's you know where he made his career, obviously. I don't want to see it end with a really bad, unsuccessful season with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA, knowing that it was a lifelong dream to make it to that level and it just didn't work out. You would hate to see a great coaching career end on that note, even though that's not what he would be known for. It would be the last thing he did, and that would always be on his resume. And I just, I don't want that to happen. So any other, any other last thoughts here before we go? Yeah. I mean, of course I'm with you and anyone else who's brought up returning uh, at a role in Michigan. And I would hope that Michigan uh, with all, I mean, especially if you think about all the money from donors and I mean, there's, there's no way that if, if it's what they wanted, that they wouldn't be able to come up with a sweet enough deal to, to get him a return no matter what the role. And I saw some, you know, funny things on Twitter, as you always see. And sorry, I can't credit anyone with this, but I saw a couple of things saying that that is the former coach that you want to have teach a class about integrity or leadership. You know, that's, that's actually the guy that you want to be uh, an adjunct professor or whatever you may call a role where you lead a class. And I, and I think that, yeah, Michigan will likely give some kind of offer and would, obviously welcome back with open arms any Michigan fan would do the same but yeah if it's not that I hope he hope he retires and and I think kind of last thought here is we put a lot of uh, weight into the fact that he was chasing a dream but I think there was also a sense and I don't know if this ever um, raised to the surface or not but I think he was kind of over the recruiting over the model of the the one and dones uh, over just kind of the college basketball you've got to that factor in the stuff that might come up with players getting compensation. It's not the same game that John Beeline um, developed as a coach. Uh, Even at Michigan, things were changing uh, and you kind of could sense some frustration maybe leading to, to why he jumped at a terrible uh, NBA uh, opportunity and what many thought. So I would say that if he doesn't get back into coaching, it's because of the recruiting. It's because of, you know, there's a lot of things, but, yeah, I hope for either a happy retirement or uh, a slot back in the athletic department because as much as we love Juwan Howard, there's going to be a part of us that always uh, misses John Beeline in some sense, and I'd love those two to, to hook up and be able to be the best of friends and, and hopefully um, go win some championships. All right, well, that's going to do it for us tonight on the Go Blue Crew. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Ty underscore Fenwick, and Derek is at Divine Identity. Thanks for listening. Go Blue. Kaboom.